episode 43, we bring you the making of 93. Welcome to Bike Live. Let's go! Yes, I know. The cellophane from your calendars has only just touched the dustbins, but yes, this is Bike Live in January. Um, so, warm welcome to all of you as we encounter our first off season. Um, of Bike Live. Warm welcome to all of you joining us um, here on Motorsport 101. Happy New Year to all of you um, for this special show, episode 43, given that there is no motorcycle racing to speak of um, at the moment and not for the next six weeks or so. Um, we have the chance to devote these shows to some very special or unique subjects. And this one, um, we're going to devote our first show of 2018 to the man who really made 2017 his own. Uh, that is Mark Marquez talking about everything that makes him tick and one indeed makes him the best motorcycle racer on the planet today. Um, we're going to talk about his ruthless streak, the fact that he is one of the sport's great entertainers, his mental strength, how he's just purely relentless, everything that makes him the rider that he is. Um, over the next hour and a half uh, or so, um, joining me this week as ever, um, my sympathy goes to him because he normally has um, about two months off before he has to uh, suffer my voice on Skype again. But he's uh, getting it in January this time. It's a warm welcome and a happy new year, Andre Harrison. They don't pay me enough for this. <laughs> yeah, like, like who woke me up in the middle of January and said, Dre, we're recording more podcasts. What do you mean we're recording more podcasts? Um, yes, I am here. They fished me out of bed long enough to record an episode. Happy new year, everybody. Um <laughs> To get to, just to catch up on a couple of things. First of all, well done, Jonathan Ray. Second in sports yes. personality of the year. What a gangster! Um, that was awesome. Well done, bike racing. Only about a few thousand votes away from winning the damn thing. Okay, so well done, done, bike racing audience. I raise my can of monster to you. Well played. Um, second of all, shout out to that bold guy from Hastings who won at the darts. Turns out he's actually really frigging good. Um, yeah, you got ahead of me there. I was about to say, very few things have changed uh, in 2018 here on Bike Live. One of them is I've got a very sore throat, not from uh, New Year's Eve, I hasten to add. Um, and, the, and the other one is that I have a new sporting hero, and his name is Rob Cross, for the most sublime of paggerings he handed out to Phil Taylor on New Year's Day. Yes! Delicious! <laughs> oh, man, like me. Shout out to the... We'll talk about this inevitably on Motorsport 1 when that comes back next week. Um, but uh, me, RJ, King, and Zoe, so all, all four of us regulars on Motorsport 1 have got into a giant rabbit room and watched watched it together on RJ's stream um, and it was great like the early goings cross nailing a 167 a 153 Taylor coming back with the 151 but then the inevitable curb stomping that, that Rob Cross laid out and the 140 um, to win it 140 win it and, and that was a treble 18 treble 18 double 16 finish like that's the most unconventional 140 I've ever seen, and it was just totally gangster. Well done, Rob Cross. Well, boy, and uh, enjoy the £400,000 paycheck. Yeah. <laughs> gangster. <laughs> right on the heels of one of the all-time great games of all time against Michael Van Gogh in the semi-final, too. Um, it really was a fantastic month of darts, um, yes. which, we, which will be covered, uh, no doubt, on next week's episode of uh, Motorsport 101. Um, I mean, I'm curious, though, Dre. I wonder how uh, excited RJ is for the lakeside dart starting this week. Tumbleweed. Come again. <laughs> <laughs> Do you see the tumbleweed rolling past? Like, just like... It's like 41. So, we're, we're, we're hyped for the Glenn Dorrance show next week as well, clearly. <clears throat> uh, moving on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 
uh, yeah, if you enjoy seeing plenty of single ones and single fives, um, yeah, tune in to Channel 4 and BT Sport this week um, as the Lakeside BDO Darts gets underway. The, uh, the After the Lord's Mayor shows of sporting events um, that, that gets underway this week. Um, but elsewhere from that, um, as, as Dre mentioned, Motorsport 101 returns next week. Um, it's been that long since I've done one of these. I've forgotten what number we're up to on Motorsport 101 next week. Um, Give me a minute. I'm going to furiously search on SoundCloud for the answer to this question because we are a professional podcast with professionals. It will be episode 118 next week. Episode 118. <laughs> um, and yeah, plenty to be covered. Not sure how much of it will be motorsport based. Um, but uh, but yeah, um, we haven't. Uh, by the way, um, if you head to SoundCloud, you can still find all of our back issues. We haven't done a purge like Lewis Hamilton has and uh, deleted a lot of them. Um, no, no, but, um, but yeah, you can find all of those. Um, episode 118 next week. Um, Wrestle Kingdom 12 probably also going to be uh, going to be mentioned in, in all of that um, next week. Um, but the other places you can find us, along with our SoundCloud feed, which is soundcloud.com forward slash motorsport101, Facebook, facebook.com forward slash motorsport101, on Twitter, um, at motorsport underscore 101, um, on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash motorsport101 as well. Um, and our website, motorsport101.net, our Patreon page if you want to back us financially and earn yourself early access to both of our weekly or the, for, the off-season fortnightly shows, um, which alternate, Motorsport 101 and Bike Live. It's patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. And Dre, for those who haven't been to the website since we were last on air, um, uh, a brief update has been posted to our Patreon page since we last spoke. Yes, we have indeed. Um, me, me and the boys um, got our heads together um, like a, a, for a team meeting early January. Um, the full post is is on our Patreon page as for that's most one. But I'll give you the I'll give you the uh, the short version. Number one, we're gonna try and squeeze these shows down to about two hours now. Like. We promise. Um, yeah. we, we didn't. Want, we didn't want to give Lewis more work, but unfortunately, we put a bit more water in the hamster wheel. Luckily, he should be all right. Personally, um, <laughs> but um, if we go really, really long on a taping from here on in, what will most likely happen is we're probably going to split the show in two. Because as much as you guys loved our Christmas special, our reward show and season review. It did go three and a half hours long, and that's probably not ideal in the grand scheme of things. So. We know you have busy lives out there. That was probably an ideal example of a show that we could have probably split in two. So that'll be a thing going forward in 2018. We're going to have a soft limit of around two hours. If it's a little bit longer, no one's going to give a shit. But hey, just one thing I wanted to point out. We're going to try and do more videos as well. I mean, we're going to be experimenting with Discord videos capabilities. And if, if we can make that work as screen grabs, you'll probably get a lot more podcast highlights on YouTube as well. And we've got Discord access coming up soon as well. So if you're a $10 backer for us, and you know you really like early access, you might want to take it one step further, we have a Discord server now. So if you back us for 10 bucks a month, you can actually listen to our shows as they happen, live from the recording booth. You can sit back, grab some popcorn, and shitpost on our Discord group. Uh, <laughs> even though, who knows? I might even shut up every once in a while. Um, so if you fancy that, as well as another potential option to get your show really, really early, like literally straight off the cutting room floor, because um, trust me, there's some fun stuff that doesn't make the final edit. <laughs> Take it from me. <laughs> so, yeah, um, there's some stuff in there for 10 bucks a month. You can have that as well. And a, a, a small uh, little sneak preview for what's going up on Motorsport 101 in the next month. The film club is actually going to be a thing. Mm. We, um, King's idea, unfortunately. 
unfortunately, so he gets all the credit for it. But uh, at one point, we the three of us are going to sit down and watch three motorsport-related movies of varying quality. Um, we have confirmed the three movies are Grand Prix, arguably the best motorsport movie related ever, Days of Thunder, somewhere in the middle, and Driven, oh, because... No. It's because Sylvester Stallone couldn't afford an F1 license, so he thought, "Solid, let's do all about '90s cars instead." It's the same, right? Yeah, it's totally the same thing. Um, it goes about as well as you'd expect. So that will be coming up in pro slightly late January, early February, in the run up to the Formula One season itself. When we go back to weekly shows in March, so. Just so you know, we're going to be alternating between Motorsport 101 and Bike Live between now and most likely late February at the at, at best when World Superbike starts up again. I still don't know why they start in late February. The bloody hipsters. Glad but, they do. But hey, we we got we got to get some love for Worlds when it's back on its own. Um, but uh, yeah, so until then, at least we'll most likely be going. Um, alternating the two main shows back and forth between them and so at least you've got something to keep you busy until until the really you know the real meat and potatoes of motorsport season starts exactly. that and there'll be a couple of other cool things i haven't quite announced yet because we're i'm just trying to finalize a couple of plans here and there it may involve a scottish woman with funky hair um more on that soon but uh, in the meantime yeah if you want to see the full post it's on our Patreon page. It's over to everybody. It's not like you've got to pay to see the link because we're not heathens like that. Patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101 for all the details on that about how we're going about ourselves in 2018 going forward. Absolutely. <laughs> Check it out right now. You can, you can see it on there. Yeah, as Dre mentioned, um, we'll be going fortnightly here on Bike Live over the next month or so, next month and a half. So um, episode 44 will be in a couple of weeks' time. Episode 45 um, we'll be at the beginning of February, and then episode VR46. Um, we'll be midway through February. Have a guess who we'll be talking about on that one. Um, given, well, okay, Lorenzo, right? <laughs> given that we'll be very, very short of topics. Yeah, exactly. Well, he might he might feature in a future show. If you have any ideas, incidentally, or any topics you want us to discuss on these shows, um, given that the next two or three will be um, not focused on any racing that's taking place, um, by all means, get in touch with us over any of the social media channels that I mentioned <laughs> earlier before. If any of you tweet Casey Stone, you're getting blocked instantly. Um, yeah, so, I, I, I was like, Rebecca, I'm looking at you. Yeah, um, yeah, we don't want to block you, Bex. We don't want to block you, but don't make it happen. Um, anyway, let's get on with this week's show and talk about the uh, man that really uh, replaced Casey Stoner um, at a MotoGP as Honda's uh, lead rider. That's Matt Marquez. Um, and as I mentioned earlier on, we're going to really try and break it down and try and figure out what makes Mark Marquez the phenomenon that he is. Um, and we're going to start, Dre, with the the feature of it, I suppose, that comes first in the, the Grand Prix weekend. And one of the many reasons that makes Mark Marquez the great rider that he is is that he is MotoGP's king of qualifying um, right about now. In his entire Grand Prix career, which includes his first two years when he was um, when he was not even old enough to have sex, um, and he was um, he had not had a pole position. <laughs> He's had seventy three out of one hundred and sixty eight starts, which, as I say, includes those twenty nine in his first two years before he even turned sixteen. Um, it's an incredible ratio, forty three and a half percent. He averages out at his pole positions, um, and granted, m- pole position is not the game breaker that it perhaps is in Formula One these days. Um, no. Where if you start from pole position, you, you've got you a can brain. overtake on two wheels. You can overtake <laughs> on two wheels, and yeah, there are three to a row instead of two. Um, so starting sixth isn't necessarily a disadvantage. It would be um, in Formula One. But even stats said, 
Mark Marquez in his Grand Prix career has only been off the front two rows of the MotoGP grid in the Premier Class twice in his entire career, which is an extraordinary strike rate. It's it's unheard of. It's ridiculous. So I'd argue it was like it's like you look, you look at people like Valentino Rossi, right? Like that might be the one Achilles heel in his in his arsenal, especially in more modern days, where like, he got a lot of pole positions, but it was mostly when he wasn't really competing against anybody worth a damn. Um, but hey, like this is the greatest MotoGP field we've ever seen the last three or four years, and Marquez is just such a ridiculous qualifier where. He he has like I've said it before like he and Lorenzo are probably just like out of this world in terms of qualifying pace like Lorenzo is probably the only other guy in, in this in really in the same ballpark in the modern era. Um, Marquez is an incredible frigging qualifier. His one lap speed and just the level of which he's willing to go um, on on these one lap um, excursions are just ridiculous. I mean, Lewis, you got to see the man do it live at Silverstone last season. Um, I think he was on pole that day as well, wasn't he? Um, and I think that was a the first was it? The yes, first... he edged Valentino Rossi out, didn't he? Yeah, the first ever sub two minute lap of Silverstone. Um, yeah, and, and yeah, he is extraordinary, and he's in many ways it's it's even more difficult these days, and even more uh, incredible what he's doing in qualifying. Is that the qualifying format that he's doing it under, Drake? If you think of Valentino Rossi or any other rider pre twenty what twelve thirteen when this format came in. Um, they, it was the, what you'd like to call the traditional one-hour qualifying format where you had all the time in the world to get your lap time together. These days, they've got 15 minutes. It, it's such a condensed, uh, frenetic, intense qualifying session where, in theory, there is less time to get it right and more pressure on you if you get it wrong. And there, and there of course, the penalties of getting it wrong are even higher. Yeah, that doesn't seem to affect Mark Marquez at all. Never. It's it, it never seems to happen for him. It's just he he's com, like he's almost like immune to it. Like the only issue, like the only thing that beats Marquez in qualifying half the time is Marquez himself, and that's because that's because of the nature of the rider he is, where he often tr- you know tries to use Friday to find that where the limit is. And then inevitably, sometimes we go a little bit too far beyond it in qualifying. But you know, he he's basically modernised the three-run format in, in a fifteen-minute session in Q2. He was the first guy to really go. You know what? I'm going to do one. I'm going to do one run on the first bike. I'm going to switch to the second bike. And I'm going to go back to the main bike again right at the end. Like he was the first guy that really started the three-run format in fifteen minutes, which is doable. And other guys started to copy him, like Lorenzo. I've seen Lorenzo do it on a couple of occasions as well, where he's gone for three runs in the same session, which nobody else seems to do. He's seemingly immune to the pressure. And this, basically his nature of being able to save incidents like nobody else can can easily be worth another tenth because he can lean the bike harder and turn in harder than anyone we've ever seen. And it's... It's one of those reasons why he's able to you know, be this one-lap monster that he is. It's arguably the strongest part of Marquez's game. And, well, <laughs> he has a lot of those as it is. Yeah, he does. I mean, if you go back to, as, uh, as I mentioned, we'll, we'll touch on this a few times through the show. Um, if you go back to the start of 2010, which was really where the Marquez rise began, um, where he won his first Grand Prix midway through that 2010 season um, at Mugello, of all places, where he took his first word and really didn't stop winning after that. Um, since that point, he's had a minimum, minimum of seven pole positions per season. 
um, which is incredible. Um, in his best years, um, he's had, well, 2014, he had 13 poles from a possible 18, um, which, which is frankly ludicrous. Um, and yeah, it's, as I say, Dre, it's not the, it's not the game break that it is in Formula 1, but it's still a hell of a leg up. We've seen the likes of Valentino Rossi and Andre Davizioso, it happened to him a little bit this year, that you can't necessarily win a race on the first lap of a Grand Prix starting up the front, but you can certainly lose it if you start way too far back. And we saw Andre Davizioso's championship basically fall by the wayside in Phillip Island, where he got himself mired in the midfield midway through the race and never got out of it. Um, Mar- right. Mark Marquez is in a position where he never presents himself with that problem. It's 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 all about efficiency, really, more than anything else. Like you make just make it as easy as possible for yourself to win over a race weekend, and the pole position in the start is the big reason for that. Like I mean, it's a, it's a lot easier to win a race from the front row than even it is from row two. And as you say, he's only been in that pickle twice in his MotoGP career to date, and. This is what his sixth season, fifth, fifth season in the top flight now, and that's you know that's almost a hundred races, and he's he's still you know as as good as ever in qualifying, and he, he just doesn't open the door for those kinds of errors very often, and yeah, as you said, like it's 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 an issue that other riders don't have to deal with, like he doesn't have to deal with that as a potential problem, where other guys can, like like Valentino Rossi's often struggled. Um, in races because he's been caught up in the midfield a little bit too long and because hey the midfield isn't just scrubs anymore it's really good riders so as the sport gets more and more competitive intrinsically pole position becomes more and more important Um, and yeah in in a a land where analytics are more important than ever and you go you got to be efficient and you got to make it as easy as possible for yourself to get up there you know, Marquez already has one major box ticked almost every weekend, and that is a, a, a big asset to have. Mm, yeah, he is the king of qualifying uh, in MotoGP and indeed in Grand Prix uh, Grand Prix racing, period. Um, he's been a pole hound ever since his first successful 1-2-5 season. Um, Mark Marquez is also ruthless. He is a ruthless operator um, in his Grand Prix career. Um, and I'm really sure nothing signifies that more than perhaps his, his Moto2 years. Um, when he was um, a new rider to the class, he of course won his 125 season, joined Moto2 uh, in 2011, perhaps could and probably should have won the championship in his rookie year in that class. It was only an injury, a very unfortunate injury, one that threatened his career at one point um, at the end of that 2011 season, which denied him the championship that year. Um, but in 2012, just as he was coming up to clinch the championship, we perhaps saw the ruthlessness of Mark Marquez um, clearer than we'd ever seen it. He had a very um, much publicised collision with Paul Espargaro in Catalonia that year um, as the mm-hmm. two were battling for uh, a podium position that day um, where Marquez really did sort of lay down a market to Paul Espargaro, his, perhaps his closest rival that year, that he wasn't going to be pushed around. But two of his opening laps uh, towards the end of that year um, which are both available still to watch on YouTube if you search for them on the MotoGP uh, YouTube channel or just search for them on YouTube. Um, they are mm-hmm. very easily found. I found them yesterday. Um, his starts in Mategi and Valencia Dre, um, I still watch them, what, six years on, and they're still video game-esque, um, what he was pulling together. The one in Mategi, first of all, uh, where perhaps he showcased his one true weakness as a rider, which is his starts, which aren't the greatest. Um, he no. practically stalled it on the grid, was very, very fortunate not to be ran into, entered the first corner pretty much in last position, and mm-hmm. ended the first lap in a 33-bike field in eighth position. <laughs> yeah, it's like 
it's like playing the video game on the lowest difficulty and you want to challenge yourself a little bit and then you realize oh wait this is still way too easy um yeah it is absolutely ridiculous and yeah like it's not like i mean we're going to talk about valencia i'm sure in a second and valencia is probably the other major example of that in 2012 um but in valencia he had the benefit of the start in Mategi, like he didn't have that. He entered that first corner in last place. And despite that, he's in the top 10 by the end of the opening lap. It is utterly ridiculous. Um, it's it's something out of a video game, quite frankly. It's 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 insane. And again, a remind like this was probably the moment when people realized, oh wait, this is a different breed of rider right here. Um, it's incredible, and despite that, it's it's still one of the most incredible starts I've ever seen in bike racing. It's the worst yet best start ever. It's uh, it's very weird. Um, yeah, because this it's on this video on that's on the uh, MotoGP YouTube channel. Um, do what I did if you want to find it. I literally googled Marquez Mategi Moto Two. Um, and, 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 it, and it popped up. Um, 2012 was the year. If you want to find it slightly easier, if we remember, we'll tweet the links out on our, our, our social media, um, so you can watch them yourselves. But the, the video, Dre, it's it's, an, it's the onboard from the nose of his Suto, his Moto Two. Yeah, I'm watching it right. And, and yeah. it, it, it's the reactions that he comes up with. He's just he is moving past the half of them like they are standing still. Um, yeah, it's 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 just a level of bravery that. You would like everyone's normally quite tentative on an opening lap, and Marcus is like, "This is the last lap of the Grand Prix." Clearly, yeah, turn five, turn five, there. I think it is. He outbreaks four of them at once. Um, yes, it, it, and he's going like frigging four wide, going into turn five, and he and he outbreaks all of them and takes an arrow line and beats all of them to it. It's it's insane. I I, I do not understand how he does this. It's he, like you said, it is it is exactly that. It is something out of a video game where he somehow half a second faster than everybody. I'm coming up to the hairpin now, and he's overtaking some guy called Johan Zarco. Yeah. I wonder what happened to him. Um, yeah. but, this, is, uh, this is also a Moto2 field that included the likes of Bradley Smith, Andre Iannone, um, you know, this, this, yeah, Takanakagami. Yeah. You know, these were no mugs he was overtaking. Um, and as I say, his chief championship rival that year was Paul Espargaro, who um, went on to win the Moto2 title the following season um, once Mark Marquez had got out of the way. Um, so yeah. yo, yeah, these were these were no as Dre mentioned, these were no scrubs. He was up against these were these were fantastic, <laughs> quality world class <laughs> riders. He was up against, and then he did it again um, in Valencia for the final round of the season. Um, Mark Marquez, it has to be said, at this time in his career, had wouldn't say he had the reputation of being a bit of a bad boy, but he'd got himself into a few scrapes in Moto2. Um, he did most notably for me 2011 at the end of that champ. What could have been his championship year, but he ended up as runner-up to Stefan Bradle, where he piled into the back of um i forget the the rider he ran into willowot rats back willowot that he piled into him in phillip island where um marquez had suffered a, a crash earlier in the session so he'd not got any running in in that first three practice session he managed to get out with a couple of minutes to go had taken the checkered flag and decided he was going to keep going at racing speed because he'd been so short of practice time um, right. which you could argue is quite an interesting sort of tool to try and gain every advantage you can, trying to get, get the last little bit of, of track time in. But of course, everyone else out on track was cruising because the checkered flag had gone out. He approached Rattapak Willerot going around turn three, um, what is now Stoner Corner, and absolutely piled into the back of him. Um, yeah, could have, punted him into oblivion. Yeah, could have done serious, serious damage. He, uh, I think he only suffered a knee injury, Willerot, but... Uh, yeah, Martin Kez was sent to the back of the grid on that day, finished uh, third, so it didn't really inconvenience him too much, came from the back of the grid to third that day. And he had another one in Valencia in 2012 where he sideswiped Simone Corsi 
midway through a practice session where Marquez was almost... Irony. Yeah, Marquez was almost of the attitude of, this is my racetrack, and um, if you're on my line, that's your problem. Um, yeah. He took some money, cost it out, was relegated to the back of the grid for that race too, which was 33rd on the grid, which produced another of the incredible Mark Marquez opening laps drain. This is another uh, video that's available on YouTube, and this one's spectacular as well, in that it's, it's filmed entirely from the helicopter shot. Um, the, over, yeah. the, over, the overhead shot where Mark Marquez in wet conditions once again just makes it look ludicrously easy yeah right off the start and like through between turns one and two he's, he's literally in the middle of, of like three rider packs it's it's insane. He takes advantage of everyone running wide. It's a little, obviously, like, it, it's, it had been raining earlier in the day, so the conditions were still slippery. Um, and it started on dry tyres, but it was a very slippery race indeed. Everyone was, was going at about 60%, and except for Marquez, apparently, who didn't quite get that memo. Um, and next thing you know, he's in the top 10 by the end of the opening lap. It is, it is unbelievable what, 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 what he does there. It's just like... Once the visor came down, it was like he was in a different league. He came from the back, and I, I believe he was 12th by turn two. Um, it's, well, it's went on to like, win the race. And go on to win the race, and I think he made the race winning overtake with a good five laps to spare. It's it's He was he was on a different planet compared to everybody else by Moto2 by, Moto by the end of his time in, in, in the class, and... Yeah, it's this one just showed it. it. Like, like it just if this was ever the, the first sign that you know Repsol Honda had signed an absolute monster of a rider, this is probably the one where his heart's pounding at 180 beats per minute and he's still scything through like half of the Moto TV, which again are not plebs. These are some quality riders. He's he's he's, he's coming through the middle of here, and again he makes it look like they're standing still. It's it's ridiculous, and again, they're, they're two must-watch videos on YouTube. Uh, again, both easily accessible. Just search Marquez Mategi 2012 or Valencia 2012. You'll, you'll find both of them on there. They're on the MotoGP YouTube channel. Free to watch, everybody. You have no excuse. And like, if if you've ever played the video game on Rookie, you know exactly what this is. Yeah, uh, yeah and, so... and I have to say as well, what that, that the moment you mentioned in the Valencia one at turn two, where, where a ton of them run wide, and he just literally... Um, does the switchback and overtakes about half a dozen of them. Um, I use the word again, ruthless. And, and his ability, that's not luck, is it? Um, for him to do something like that. That is the no. fact that in the most frenetic of scenarios in a Grand Prix, the middle of the pack on a first lap, he's still able to have this cool, calculating brain to, as I say, it's not luck, is it? It's a knowledge, a racing brain no. to know where other riders are likely to go and to ride accordingly. He's the Ronnie O'Sullivan of bike riders, and like I know that John Virgo would often call it. He said he is. He's always said Ronnie O'Sullivan had a snooker brain, and like when he, when he would play some unconventional safety shot that no one's ever seen before, and like it, like what the great thing is on the last replay of this start, they have they have a heart rate monitor yeah, on Marquez. Do. He's doing he's doing 180 beat, which is almost the human maximum for a guy of his age. I believe the the way of working out is 220 minus the person's age is roughly their maximum. So he's going like turn one, his heart's going at over 200 beats per minute, and he's still so screwed on that he's able to carve, like, literally two dozen riders up by the end of turn two. It is it is a racer's brain, and it's something that mere mortals just don't possess. Um, like, you're talking about maybe, you know, one or two very special riders that can pull off things like this, and I've seen, you know, in my lifetime, 
um and yeah this is one of them and it is it is it is incredible it's 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 it still ceases to amaze me now and i've seen it a dozen times that like he, he just does things that are just not possible um or just breaking convention that you would never guess would happen it's it's incredible it is and he is uh, a ruthless ruthless operator as i mentioned we we saw it as soon as you got to monster gp as well some of the battles he had particularly with jorge lorenzo um, through those early years in 2014, especially the early stages of that year, he was ruthless in the way he just dispatched his opposition, no matter who it was. And there were many several riders who tried to take him on that year and just frankly could not do it. Um, the next feature that makes Mark Marquez the, the phenomenon that he is, for me, is mental strength. And there are two separate examples, I think, for me, that have shown just how mentally tough Mark Marquez is. Um, and the first of them comes when he was only 17 years old. Uh, in 2010, his debut uh, championship, his first championship in 125s, um, and the Estoril race, the Portuguese Grand Prix of 2010, um, which was the penultimate round of the season. The championship was on the line that day um, as Mark Marquez was going up against Nico Tirol, who is one of the great 125 riders of that era. <laughs> Mark, Tirol would go on to win the 125 title that season. He was a fantastic rider at that level. Um, and the race was red flagged midway through due to a shower um, back in the 125 race that day. Um, 16 runners were left. Uh, a nine-lap sprint was declared for the second part of that race. Uh, yet Mark Marquez, on his way onto the grid for the second part of the race, crashes on the sighting lap, goes down, has to return to the garage. His bike gets prepared and repaired um, hastily for the restart, and he has to start from the back of the grid. Many a 17-year-old, Dre, with the championship potentially in danger of being lost, would have crumbled at that stage. Not Mark Marquez. There is a tremendous segment on this in, again, Missing the Apex, the uh, the, 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 the general movie release that came out a couple of years ago now, um, where Toby Moody basically voiceovers the the, the, uh, the racing question. And yeah, as you say, it was a complete scramble. He was His bike was ready within seconds of basically the uh, the race start they, they missed he missed the grid so he had to start from the back and again as you say any 17 year old with, with their head probably not screwed on because hell they're 17 um would probably crumble at that but marquez gets his head down and goes on to win the race in a, a shortened nine lap sprint essentially from 16th on uh, the grid from 16th on the grid and that was maybe the first sign that hey we, we're dealing with a different class of dude here because it was you know, the last of, of, of 10 race wins that season in the 125 class. And yeah, fourth of the final round of Valencia was enough to, make, to for him to win his first world title um, at, at, at 17 years old. Over again, Nico Tirol, who, as he's mentioned, is one of the great lightweight riders of his time, was a, a tremendous 125 rider. Um, and he had a race winner in Moto2 as well. Um, a great talent. And yeah, Marquez disposed of everybody that year essentially and yeah that was that was the that was the the, the flagship race that was the one where people stood up and took notice where you know the guy crashes on a site and they're thinking oh god what, what a reckless dude this guy is and he comes back and he he's able to channel it into a magnificent performance to win the race and ultimately the championship so yeah that was one of like the real early chapters of marquez's brilliance yeah, such a such a challenging scenario just not just to recover from the the, the early disappointment and the, the early crisis of crashing on the sighting lap, going to the grid for the restart, um, but also just purely the race itself. Once he'd 
essentially eliminated about a dozen of his opponents on the opening lap to get himself right up into the leading group immediately um, in that 1-2-5 race. Um, it ended up being essentially a three-way battle for the win between himself, Nico Tirol, and um, a, no, a rider by the name of Bradley Smith, who went on to be quite good later on in his career, um, who was Tirol's teammate. So he was essentially running interference for Tirol. Um, to try and help him win the championship because Bradley Smith was out of title contention by that stage. Um, and Marquez still had an answer, just just calmly went about his business and beat the pair of them to win the Grand Prix and then displaying a very different kind of mental toughness in that final round where all he needed was, I think, was a top 10. Um, and he coolly, calmly went about it, didn't go chasing the front runners. I think Bradley Smith won that race. Um, mm -hmm. And Mark Marquez went on to finish fourth, essentially just doing what he had to do to win the championship. Um, and he was only 17 at this stage. It was incredible, the, the mental strength he was showing. Um, in his Moto2 campaign, as I mentioned, he had that um, disastrous moment in Phillip Island where he was sent to the back of the grid for nearly killing Rattapak Willerot um, in free practice for that Grand Prix. Um, but the end of that season, Dre, um, we, we should mention that, and it, it probably doesn't get mentioned enough, I mean, the story of Mark Marquez. The crash he had in Sepang late that season, um, which cost him the world title that year, arguably. He was leading the championship with two races to go. Um, it, it's an incident that gets completely overshadowed based on the tragic events. No one talks about this. The tragedy that occurred elsewhere that weekend, obviously, with mm -hmm. Marcus and Magelli. Um, but um, Stefan Braille went on to win that Moto2 title because in free practice one for the Moto2 Grand Prix that weekend, a race that did go ahead before the tragic MotoGP race later that afternoon, um, Mark Marquez and Bradley Smith both went down in free practice one because of rain falling that wasn't flagged by the marshals. There were no rain flags that, that, were, that were being waved for the riders to let them know that conditions were slippery. Um, both Marquez and Smith went down. Marquez, I believe, crashed. His, he actually made contact with Bradley Smith's machine that was lying in the gravel, um, who had crashed just ahead yeah. of him. It was an incident that we, we were not over-exaggerating this, Dre, where it very nearly not only cost Mark Marquez his sight in one eye, but it very nearly cost him his career. Yeah, as as mentioned again, another missing the apex clip here for you. We're doing a really good job of plugging this movie <laughs> in this in the course of this podcast. But yeah, like as you mentioned, be, probably because of Marco Simoncelli's tragic death of that weekend, um, it, it doesn't get obviously quite rightly over, um, overlooked that weekend. But yeah, as you say. Free practice one, rain that is not accounted for, not not noticed by the marshals, not flagged. And yeah, like Marquez damages his eye in that accident with Bradley Smith and scraped the, 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 like the, the, the cornea off his eye pretty much. And yeah, it nearly cost him his sight in one eye. You can't obviously ride a bike with one eye, you know, peripheral vision and whatnot. Um, so yeah, like, the, like there was basically big question marks as to... If Marquez's eye didn't recover properly, he probably would have, you know, not not been able to come back as a bike rider. It's why he missed um, Malaysia, Valencia, why Stefan Bradl probably won that 2011 title in the end. And it was an incident that, you know, very nearly cost him, you know, his career and, you know, the quality of his life. Yeah, he to eye surgery um, in January of 2012 to essentially salvage his career. Um, he'd been trying to recover. This was three months on now um, from the accident back in January of 2012. Um, and yeah, he had to have surgery to correct the vision problems he was having or had been having since that crash in Malaysia uh, three months prior um, to allow him to, to resume his career. And of course, what did he go on and do? He'd go on and win the first race of 2012, beating Thomas Luti in Qatar um, to win the Mono 2 Grand Prix and the championship um, with uh, a race to spare. Um, in 2012 um, just an extraordinary display from Mark Marquez who as I mentioned could have easily lost his career 
um, with that accident that happened late in 2011. Um, more closer to home and more recently than that, Dre, he's had to show a very different kind of mental strength because, again, it's, we're not putting too fine a point on it. Um, around three years or two and a half years ago, post-Malaysia 2015, Mark Marquez was public enemy number one in MotoGP and very, very few riders would have come back from that. Exactly. Um, gosh, when it when I mean, it is still arguably the most spectacular course of events in the history of MotoGP. It, it essentially put the sport on a global sports map that some of you just don't get in bike racing anymore. I mean, yeah, a lot of us, you know, in bike racing only know one man, and that's Valentino Rossi. He's, he's he is been bike racing's transcendent god for the you know best part of twenty years now. Like. You you name you tell you ask a guy to name maybe three other bike riders they might struggle the, uh, if you ask the average sports fan that but it, it says a lot when when you know we talk about Sepang twenty fifteen we've we've done that a lot on this show over the last three or four years um, but we have to because it's arguably like the most observed moment in modern MotoGP history it changed um, the course of so many careers um, Jorge Lorenzo of course <laughs> who went on to win that title and it, much like Mark Marquez has not really been looked at favorably by the massive Valentino Rossi fans ever since. Um, but, yeah. And it was part of my motivation, actually, for doing this show, because even as recently as his superb victory, his last Grand Prix victory to date um, in Australia this year, Philip Island, Mark Marquez was still getting booed. His reputation to many still hasn't recovered. It might not ever recover. And that's the terrifying part of this, is that like, I think... Even I, I, I hold my hands up and admit this. I underestimated just how popular Valentino Rossi actually was, because if people are still booing Marquez over two years on from that initial incident, um, oof, it's it's and, and, and Rossi not fans booing him because he's done anything else bad, but literally just booing him because of who he is and what he stands for. Yeah, yeah, just booing his existence. Like you, you cost Rossi that tenth title. Boo. And I've always said these people are ridiculous and they shouldn't be holding such grudges. And I will stand by that as long as I so live and breathe as a biking fan. But like that's like that's the nature of this incident. And that is how far it has gone. Like, as you said, it basically changed the viewpoint of these riders forever. Um, a lot of. I know. Like, I'll give you an acoustic example. My my brother. It was his birthday two days ago. By the way, happy birthday, Ron. Um, he's twenty. It's terrifying. Um, but um, he was a Valentino Rossi fan until that day in Sepang. He now supports Mark Marquez as his favorite rider. It, it, it turned a lot of people. It basically turned Valentino Rossi, in, in the eyes of many, from the overall okay slightly scruffy but ultimately quite likable chap into the into basically mr tinfoil hat the yeah, sort of guy that believes the fan support what? has become tribal ever since then yeah it, it's it is it is even more territorial than it was before like every every grand prix weekend we now see there's a rossi grandstand there's a marquez grandstand there's a lorenzo grandstand they do not mix no. <laughs> like it is even more territorial and now the Rossi fans will now boo the Marquez fans and the Marquez fans will react over the top because again they they have to be defensive because their guys being attacked for seemingly no reason um so it's it's incredible and the one thing we forget about all that is the one guy that I think was you know, the, the main victim of this was Mark Marquez because 
I think he lost a pocket of fans he's never going to get now as a result of this for ultimately doing nothing wrong. It's and it says a lot about it when you know people still mention this friggin' two or you know friggin' two or three years later about 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 what's gone on here and and you know the aftermath of this and how it sucked every major rider. I mean, do we even remember that Danny Pedrosa won that day? And no. um, like, we don't talk about that. We don't talk about Jorge Lorenzo basically trying to defend the professionalism of the grid as as a whole when he was basically the guy that won the title that year. It's it's, it's sad that that is his is, is, is his fifth major title was basically. Um, overshadowed by an incident between the two, the sport's two biggest names in the last decade. What made it such a shame uh, to me as well is if you go back to the start of, maybe the start of that season. I mean, the, I know the the animosity begin between the started to sort of manifest itself around Argentina and Assen earlier that year. But if you think back to Mark Marquez's very first MotoGP race um, in Qatar, 2013, he had a fantastic wheel-to-wheel battle with Valentino Rossi for second place. In that Grand Prix, Lorenzo winning that race. Rossi beat Marquez to second that day. They had another one a year on in, in 2014, a Marquez victory in Qatar. Again, just a, the edging out Valentino Rossi. At that stage, I think everyone adored the dynamic between those two because it was almost the the master and the apprentice who wanted to emulate his, emulate the guy back around that point. The the dynamic between them was, was fantastic around that point to the point that we, we enjoyed watching those two go wheel to wheel. Now... When those two go wheel to wheel, you're almost watching the race thinking, I hope these two don't take each other off. It's dread. It's it's almost like it's the, oh my God, please don't hit each other, guys. Um, and Because I don't think anybody really wants to see those two square off again, really, because of how toxic it got the last time they did two years ago. You're absolutely right. I mean, I wrote about this on the website. You can still find that blog about it. I think I'll have to find it. I'll put it in the links when this episode inevitably goes up at the weekend. But it's it was it was toxic, and like before that, it was it was a great relationship. It was genuinely a case of maybe Rossi was passing the torch on to a guy that admired the crap out of him as a child. Like, like, like Rossi is now such an age where he's literally inspired the next generation of bike riders. Like. The Espagaro brothers, like Daniel Petrucci, who's openly said that that was his hero. Um, you know, again, guys like Marquez, who there's a famous picture of Marquez, who was, at, I think it was 10 years old at the time, arm in arm with Valentino Rossi, the guy who inspired him to be a bike rider, and now they're at each other's throats. It was, it was a bizarre, terrifying dynamic. And like the change in it now where even as as late as last year, I remember at Aragon where Susie Perry sits down with Valentino and, you know, basically he, he still calls Marquez an idiot for what happened at Sepang, basically, where there's still bitterness there with Valentino. There is still, you know, I think there is still a deep residing thought with this guy that Marquez cost him, cost him that 10th title he's wanted so badly. Um, so there is... There is something there, and it's sad. Yeah, it's I sad think you're right. Because... I don't think those wounds will ever heal. Arguably, no. unless Rossi does still win that tenth title, um, and then perhaps I mean I still think a lot of Rossi fans will still lord it over Marquez and still um, despise his very existence. But I think the only thing that can even potentially deny um, Marquez, Marquez that treatment for the rest of his career is if Rossi does go on to retire as a ten times champion. Um, 
what may make it even worse in future is that Marquez, with the achievements that he's um, putting on the board at the moment, could go on to surpass Rossi's numbers um, in the next four or five oh, years, I... which um, in some ways might make him even less popular. Um, but again, coming back to his mental strength and, and how he's managed to deal with this is that Marquez is still a very young guy even now. He's still only 24 um, as a man. And following that incident, following the the toxic fallout from Sepang 2015, Mark Marquez was having to be escorted into the circuit at places like Mugello. Um, and it's irritating, yeah. For, for yeah. fear of being abused and assaulted by Valentino Rossi fans. Um, and for a guy who at that stage was obviously was only 23 years of age, um, and just to purely go into a, a sporting venue, to go about your job being booed mercilessly, um, almost everywhere you go by a pocket of fans, that's a difficult thing to get your head around and to get over with and still focus on your job. He's a better man than me. I, I don't think I'd have been and able not to, rise to cope to it. with that. Yeah, and not rise to it. And you know, like, 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 that's the crazy thing about this. Like, at no point did Marquez really show any bitterness towards Valentino, any real sense of animosity. Like, and quite frankly, Marquez would have had every right to, given that Rossi basically set his fan base on him, um, in uh, accusing him of, of the worst possible things, such as not being a fan, faking his fanhood, you know, accusing him of deliberately trying to, you know, help Lorenzo win a title, which is basically just preposterous, really, because. I've mentioned it before, but Marquez has been this way with everyone. He has no favourites. He 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 is ruthless. You remember, we will forget he was ruthless to his own teammate, trying to pass around the outside of him in his rookie season in Aragon and severed the man's traction control cord. Uh, like he has, like there is no disparity. Like Marquez is an equal opportunity hater. Um, but. But by any measure, like Marquez was 23 and he showed more mental maturity and strength than most athletes at any age to be able to cope with, you know, the most rampant fan base in motorsport attacking him from all angles simply for existing, really. And just, you know, simply for being the bystander as Rossi had a meltdown in Sepang um, and coming back from that and still rode like a pro and still very nearly won that race in Valencia. Um, didn't quite have the measure of Jorge Lorenzo on the day who obviously won that title. Um, yeah, it is, an, it is an unbelievable sign of mental strength and fortitude given how it had all played out. It was, it was unbelievable. And I, th- and I think um, he almost has a, a mental advantage over Valentino Rossi now anytime they go wheel to wheel because... I think they approach it differently. As you say, if Mark Marquez is going wheel-to-wheel with Valentino Rossi, I think, and many of Rossi's fans will no doubt disagree with this, but I think Marquez just sees Rossi as just another rival. Valentino Rossi sees Mark Marquez in a wheel-to-wheel battle as he is the guy that cost me that championship two years ago. Um, And and it perhaps makes Valentino Rossi try harder than it did. Mategi 2016, where Valentino Rossi crashes trying to race Mark Marquez, a race where Marquez clinched his title. Um, there's no question that ever since that day in Sepang 2015, which rider has made the more basic mistakes in a Grand Prix that have taken him out of a Grand Prix? It's Valentino Rossi. 
as Valentino Rossi. We saw it this season at Le Mans where with three corners to go, he, he, he buries it in the gravel in a, in a clutch situation, fighting Maverick Vinales for a race win. Um, so, yeah, we've seen it happen. Where, Mark, 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 you Marquez, know. Mark Marquez has, I think, in his head, well, I think he did instantly, but in his head, he has moved on um, for what happened in Sepang that day. But as I mentioned, I don't think Valentino Rossi will ever move on or ever get closure for that unless he does win that 10th title. Um, that will always fester for Valentino Rossi and that will always wrangle with him and always be a source of bitterness for him um, towards Mark yeah. Marquez unless he does eventually um, earn that holy grail as he sees it, that 10th title, which um, this year, 2018, may well be his final opportunity to do so. That will be one of the stories of this 2018 season um, as we go along uh, through this year here on Bike Live. Um, amongst many things... Until he, until he inevitably signs a new two-year deal and sticks around to the age of 50. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's going to be riding. He's going to be a field of Valentino Rossi plus a load of VR46 Academy graduates, isn't it? MotoGP um, in the future. Plus um, one of them is on the grid this year uh, in Franco Morbidelli. Um, as well as his mental strength, Mark Marquez is also nothing if not fearless um, as a MotoGP rider. Um, nothing exemplifies that more than the 209 miles an hour crash at Mugello in his debut season um, of 2013. The fastest recorded MotoGP crash at that point, that Marc Marquez suffered um, that day. Still went on to race in the Grand Prix and crashed again, as it goes, um, but crashed out of a podium position in the Grand Prix uh, just two days later. Um, but what, again, makes Marc Marquez fearless, and, and I suppose every Grand Prix motorcycle racer, by their very nature, are fearless because it's a very risky um, occupation. Um, but I've oh. never seen a rider, perhaps, Dre, more than Marc Marquez, who's almost prepared to crash, um, over the course of a Grand Prix weekend, he sees crashing as a as an elementary, regulatory part of his job in terms of finding the limit of his motorcycle. He's prepared to crash because he knows that once he crashes, he's found the limit and then he knows not to reach that limit again. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, he, he crashed 26 times this season in MotoGP in 18 races. And we said it before, that's the Marquez method now. Any other rider would be saying, this is ridiculous. What are you doing? With... With, with Marquez, it's a part of his game now where he will deliberately ride extra hard in practice trying to find where the limit is. He'll take a crash. He now there knows, okay, I can't, yep, I, can't, I can't push it there. I can't do that. And then he doesn't crash there again for the rest of the weekend. In critical moments, he doesn't really crash still. He had a couple of minor ones this season. But for the most part, it's now to a point where... He will crash delib almost deliberately on a Friday or a Saturday, find out where the limit of adhesion is, and in the race, it's okay. As you mentioned, 26 uh, crashes in 2017, only two of them were in the race. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, he will use practice and even qualifying as a marker to, to see where the limit is, and once he knows where the limit is, around a corner or around a part of a track, he's almost invincible, and that's the part of his game now that's how he does it and that's and that's how he's able to make it work for him um yeah no one else in MotoGP really goes about it like this and but it's part of what maybe what makes Marquez so effective he is and he's as I mentioned his, his fearlessness um exemplified itself at Silverstone in 2013 um another key day in his rookie season where he had that terrifying accident where Cal Crutchlow crashed in, in morning warm-up um, and had to essentially usher the marshals out of the way uh, because Mark Marquez and his motorcycle were careering towards them um, in the gravel trap down at, at Vale 
Um, Mark Marquez would dislocate his shoulder um, in that crash. He would go on to race three hours later and finish a very close second to Jorge Lorenzo um, in the Grand Prix. Um, and as I mentioned, he's, he's, he's prepared to crash these days. It's, it's seen as a part of his job um, to, to discover the limit. And as you mentioned, it's, it, it's almost a new approach to MotoGP. And that's another thing that Mark Marquez has brought to his sport. He has reinvented the wheel, which is very, very rare for someone at the start of their career, essentially, to reinvent the, the, the sport that they're competing in. Um, it's, may, it's often the fact that the young guys try and catch up with uh, an approach that they've seen from someone much older than them. But in MotoGP, it's the opposite. We are seeing the older hands, the likes of Valentino Rossi, are happy to reinvent themselves to try and match what the younger Marquez is doing. It's become like part of Valentino Rossi's game in the last chapter of his career. Where he's learning from other people and adapting his riding style. I know Rossi openly admitted after dropping Jeremy Burgess as his long-standing crew chief of about 13, 14 years um, that, yeah, he was openly watching tape of Mark Marquez and trying to copy his riding style. It's... I'm not going to get too darty on us here, but it reminds me a lot of Phil Taylor. He used to do that all the time. He used to watch tape of how people played and then would adapt his playing style to suit it. He might take longer walks up to the hockey or might play a bit faster or play a bit slower, depending on who he was going up against, adapting his style to rattle the other guy a little bit. Valentino Rossi was born in the same way here. He's, he's He was molding his riding style off of Marquez. And I, you know, do you remember this one, Lewis? I think you remember... Um, Silverstone, I think it was 2014, his fight with Jorge Lorenzo, that uh, Marquez won that head-to-head -head fight at Silverstone for the win against. And I openly remember Jorge Lorenzo saying, I can't do that with my motorcycle. Yeah, I, can't, I can't, uh, can't come up with that level of lean angle and still stay aboard the bike. Yes, and like it was such a famous clip that MotoGP used it for their intro the following year. <laughs> it, it, like, if you ever see that technical intro, the one on YouTube with all the numbers buzzing around it, it is based off that Marquez Pass at Village that year in twenty, I think it's twenty fourteen, where he's able to lean so deep at, at Bridge that he's able to make the move, and Lorenzo has to get out of the way, and there was nothing Lorenzo could do about it. Um, it's it was a genius move, and again, that's just a another part of the Marquez game where you can do things on a motorcycle that nobody else can yeah, do. We're seeing riders now, uh, it's, it's almost seen as just the general accepted way of riding a motorcycle these days in, in this sport where you, you're almost hanging off the side of the bike as you go around a corner, um, which five, <laughs> ten years ago would have been seen as ludicrous. That would have been seen as, um, as not the way to do it. But now it's just the accepted method of, of riding a MotoGP bike. It's, it's, it is the Marquez way, which has just become the norm now. And it wasn't the norm until Marquez arrived. It was, it was almost unheard of. Um, he, he has yeah. reinvented his own sport um, in, in MotoGP. Um, he's also, along with being fearless, he is relentless. Um, and I, I, think, I was trying to think about this earlier on, thinking about how could I sort of explain how Mark Marquez is relentless. And, and when you look at... All the other greats that he races against these days, Dre, in MotoGP, the likes of Valentino Rossi, Jorge Lorenzo, um, they've all had their dips, um, even through their great careers. Um, and Mark Marquez's career is 10 seasons old now, um, as extraordinary as that may sound. Um, Jorge Lorenzo has had his dips. This year, you could argue, was one of them, um, although he was riding a brand-new motorcycle with a brand-new team. 
Um, and a very different challenge to anything he'd faced before. But 2014 was certainly a dip for Jorge Lorenzo, where his professionalism was called yeah. into question. Valentino Rossi had his dips. You could argue that um, this year and last year perhaps were one, were one of those dips. But certainly 2013, where he was very much the number two to Lorenzo and the number four to Lorenzo, Pedroza and Marquez at the front of the field. And we questioned whether he still could deliver at this level in MotoGP. But Dre, in Mark Marquez's Grand Prix career, um, and of course his first two seasons when he was learning his craft um, at the age of 14 and 15, weren't as spectacularly successful as they have been since. But if you go through his decade-long career, I'm struggling to find a single dip. Yeah, you're going to have to dig quite deep to find that one, um, at least in my humble opinion. Um He's finished in the top three of a world championship every year since 2010. The first two years of his, of his, of his motorcycle career, he had a, he was on the podium as a rookie in 2008, the first year of his career. 2009, he improved upon that. Um, and, and what, 2009, so Marquez was still, what, 16 years and, old? And he was on a KTM, which was by no means the favoured bike in 125. No. So when, 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 you, when you picture all these things and when you add up, like, there is really no bad year. The closest thing he's had to a bad year was 2015 in MotoGP, and that Honda was practically unrideable that season. And despite that, despite six DNFs, he still won five races that season. So and I don't think anybody else did that year besides, besides Pedrosa and that one race when he had at Sepang that year. Um, about the only time all season where that Honda looked comfortable. Um so when you weigh it up and you realize, like, 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 there's been a couple of carry jobs from Marquez in, in, in his time at that Repsol Honda factory team as well. Um, there isn't really a bad year on the table. It, there, there just isn't. Like, he's just, he, he, he is ridiculous. He is, he, he doesn't really have bad seasons. And, and that's, that's an element where, you know, he's going to be a contender every single year he takes part as long as he stays healthy, which, Fortunately, the man seems to be made of rubber, so um, that's not happened anytime soon either. But yeah, he's been he's been incredible, and in, in, in his, his entire career is just glowing, full of numbers. Like you look at his Wikipedia page, and you look at the record section. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's basically two pages of a four. It's it, it doesn't add up. It's it's ridiculous, and that's the guy we're dealing with here. Like he is basically rewriting the record books. And has been for years now. He he is uh, he is some unlike anyone we've ever seen in motor in, in Grand Prix motorcycle racing in general. That we've not had a guy like a guy like Marquez shoot to the front of his sport this quickly and this dominantly, as well. Not since Valentino Rossi, arguably even more dominantly than yeah. Rossi, given that I'd argue the field wasn't as good in the early two thousands outside of maybe Mad Max. Um, and again, like there was a couple of years in this run with Marcus where the Honda was legitimately not the best machinery, and that's universally agreed by many an expert that yeah, the Yamaha was the go-to bike in the middle of the last decade with Lorenzo and Rossi competing for multiple titles. So when you add it all up, like we are witnessing. A guy that I think if he retired tomorrow would be a, a top four or five rider to ever walk this earth. Um, it's it's incredible. It is. And if you go back once again to the start of 2010, Mark Marquez in his entire sort of career since then in all classes has never got more than three races consecutively without a podium finish. 
Um, and, and those were the first three races of 2011 in Moto2, where he DNF'd the first two and then finished 21st in Portugal with a crash. Um, and mm-hmm. not all those crashes were his fault, incidentally. In his MotoGP career since the start of 2013, his longest podium-less streak is two races, um, which, which, is, which is ludicrous. Um, other stats that emphasize just how relentless he is. Um, since 2010, he's always, always had a minimum of five races per season that he's won, five victories um, per season, yep. um, which emphasizes why the likes of KTM these days, Mods GP, are perhaps so keen to sign him because he guarantees you five wins a season, Mark Marquez, um, yeah. in MotoGP these days. Um, his podium tally. Um, only once since 2010 has he had less than 10 podium finishes per season. Um, and that was 2015 where he had just the nine, uh, which is still half the races. Um, and mm-hmm. his podium record, his, his pole record, should I say, he's always had at least half a dozen pole positions in a season. His lowest tally since 2010 is seven poles in a season. Um, and his points tally, Dre, um, we spoke about this briefly before we started. In His, his points tally, his... Lowest points total over the last uh, eight seasons is 2015, where he scored 242 points. Um, And in the last two seasons, he scored 298 points in each season. Essentially, if you want to beat Marc Marquez to a MotoGP title nowadays, you need 300 points minimum. And that's going to be harder and harder as years go by, given that the sport is more competitive now than than it, it was even three years ago, where... You know, like we've had many a time where we knew in MotoGP we had a good stretch where we only had four dudes who could win races, and those were the two guys in orange and the two guys in blue. You might scrape one with Casey Stoner in red if you're lucky, um, and that Ducati got worse in the late 2000s as it went on rather than better. So for the for the 2010s, we already pretty much knew the only way you could win Grand Prix is if you were on a Honda or a factory Yamaha. That's pretty much it. Um, so back then you needed, you know, you needed more concentrated, higher point totals to win, to win champions. I mean, I still remember, I think it was 2010 where Lorenzo, I think at 383, something ridiculous like that. Just Google it. At 383, which is still the points record now, mostly because Valentino Rossi broke his leg and was never quite the same guy that season after he came back. Mm. Uh, but you look at these point totals since he got into MotoGP. 3.34 won in the title as a rookie. 3.62 in 2014, which easily could have been a lot more, um, given that he, he blew a couple of rounds. But by, by that point, the title was already good and as well as won by, by that point in time anyway. So 3.62 was insane. And 2.98 the last two to win, his, to win his two titles. But again, the field is a lot stronger. I mean, this year we had three dudes competing for a title down to pretty much the final round from three different teams. And last season, or well, two seasons ago, we had nine different dudes win a Grand Prix, which in MotoGP now is basically something like resembling a miracle short of the Ten Commandments or Moses parting the Red Sea to get nine different race winners in a season. I mean, I think we had seven different this year. Um, so again, it's like this, it's a different sport now. So you're probably not going to get... 350 point totals to win a league now like 300 is is still a ridiculous haul and that's going to be very very hard to do in this ultra competitive field now where any given grand prix three or four teams can win a grand prix if their guy is on form so 
for that to happen, just to guarantee yourself 300 points is nearly impossible. And 300 points over an 18-race season, the average is out at just over 16 points a round, which is third place. Um, so you, yeah, that's the level of, of performance you need to be operating at to, to come close to Mark Marquez. And Andre Vizioso tried um, in 2017, but he had probably a couple of dodgy races, a couple of bad days towards the end of the season, and that's all it takes now. Um, because Mark Marquez doesn't have these dips. He, you know, he has the occasional crash, and of course he had an engine blow-up this season, which which affected him badly, cost him potentially 25 points at Silverstone. Um, but Mark Marquez does not have those days where he's going to finish 8th, ninth in the field. He's, on his bad days, his worst day in 2017, where he finished the race, he finished 6th um, at Mugello, and that was a circuit that in no way favoured the Honda. Um, with its lack of it, with exactly. its lack of acceleration onto straights, and he still finished sixth um, behind a trio of Ducatis and two Yamahas. Um, so, so Mar Marquez, he's relentless. And you mentioned the season we had in 2016, Dre, with nine different winners, but it, it still beggars belief that in 2014 we had ten Grand Prix with only one winner um, from Mar Marquez. Won the first ten races of the season. Um, unprecedented level of dominance. Um, it was around the time we started this show um, three and a half years ago that Mark yeah. Marquez was in the middle of this run where we actually were having the conversation back then and it wasn't a, a far-fetched uh, scenario. We were actually having the conversation, can Mark Marquez win the lot? Yeah, like I believe our very first show was going in towards Indianapolis where he'd won the first nine, I want to say. I think that was our very first show. We don't talk about that very first show for obvious reasons. Um, but I do distinctly remember talking about that. And I do remember telling you that, that the bookies were taking bets back then um, after the first two rounds of how dominant he won them. They were offering a mere 16 to 1 that... Uh, that that Marquez would win every single Grand Prix that season. It was it was you know it was looking promising for a good half the season there again winning the first ten races and again like the most incredible thing about that streak wasn't so much the fact he won ten he won every kind of Grand Prix you could imagine in that ten race winning streak. Yeah, he some days he he dominated and looked unbeatable like at the Saxon Ring. Sometimes he had to go through a very very hard feud like at Indianapolis where it was he versus Lorenzo all the way to the flag essentially um he won races in the wet weight races in the dry one flag to flag races he was yeah one at assen again beat davizioso who was looking for his first grand prix win since 2010 um that day but again won the flag to flag battle invented basically the bunny hop in order to change bikes which again other riders tried to copy um after seeing Marquez do it, he just does things that are, be, that, that are you know, again, beyond the realm of comprehension. Um, and yeah, 2014, I mean, 10 races in a row, like not even Valley pulled that off. Like, like I mentioned, like in F1 comparisons, I think people don't talk about this well enough, given how the season played out. But when Sebastian Vettel won nine races in a row, the second half is, I always said on Twitter, I don't think people realize just how ridiculous that is. And even if you've got the best car and you may be a transcendent talent, do you know how much shit has to go your way for you to win nine races in a row? Yeah, how like, one mistake be, can throw all of that to, to pot, basically. Yeah, and Marquez won 10 races in a row in 11 of the first 12. And the 12. first six of them um, were all from pole position. Yeah, it's... 
it, it was a run of dominance unlike anything I've ever seen in Minecraft. For a guy in his second season in the class as well, which 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 we forget, yeah. he was he was the defending champion, of course, but this was his second season in the class um, at that level, yeah. um, at the age of what twenty one uh, at that time. Um, and, and, and yeah, yeah. an extraordinary level of dominance to win his first 10 races of the season. He, he had that broken finally at Bruno uh, when he finished fourth behind Danny Pedroza, Lorenzo and Rossi. I think rounded out the podium that day. Came out to win at Silverstone in that battle we mentioned uh, a moment ago with Lorenzo and the overtake at Village. Um, and uh, he only had uh, two more wins that season, which were the final two rounds of the year in Malaysia and Valencia. Um, as Still broke the wins record that year because he had 13 yeah, in total. 13 race wins from 17 starts, um, 18 starts, should I say, um, that season. Yeah. Um, and 362 points. Had he not crashed out of the lead in Australia that year, um, he would have taken Jorge Lorenzo's points record um, uh, into the bargain in 2014. Um, Goddamn Bridgestone yeah, tyres. Goddamn Bridgestone tyres. <laughs> um, one of the feature of his game and um, one of the final ones that I've got written down. Um, sorry, the last of the serious ones, um, is that he is really great MotoGP's master tactician uh, as well. Um, we, we often used to look at Valentino Rossi as the formidable force in a wheel-to-wheel battle on the final lap of a race. Mm-hmm. Um, but in many ways, Jorge, um, Mark Marquez is that man. Um, but I suppose nothing demonstrates just how tactically astute Mark Marquez is than his record in flag-to-flag races. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he has won all of them but one, and that was the very first one, um, if you even want to technically call it a flag-to-flag race. It was that race in Phillip Island where basically the diamond cut surface was like, Bridgestone were like, oh snap, our tyres are actually really dangerous and we can only guarantee their safety for 10 I think laps. Uh, That's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, do they count that one as a flag-to-flag? Because the one I'm thinking of that he didn't win was... Um, Aragon that year, um, which technically was a flag to flag, but it was a dry to wet flag to flag, uh, rather, yeah, rather, I guess than, that rather than a wet to dry flag to flag. Where, yeah. to his credit, um, he was almost too brave for his own good that day, wasn't he? Because it went from dry to wet, and he tried to brave out on slicks to win the race. Yeah, he fought a little bit too hard about that one, bless him. But um, yeah, not the best day for uh, for, for Honda on that one because both he and Pedrosa tried to stick it out, didn't work. Shout out to Alicia Spagger for getting on the podium that day, though. But if what you a have boy. a race nowadays where it's a, it's a flag to flag, mm. especially if it's wet to dry, you might essentially just give Mark Marquez the 25 points. Yeah, because he cra- again, he cracked the code faster than anybody else. The rule is the the earlier you aff- you can you can think you can get away of getting off the wet bike and on the dry one, if you can handle the mixed conditions first... You will win. It's as simple as that. Um, I still remember like the the one at the Saxon Ring last year, where he and Paul Spagaro they were the first. Like he, Paul Spagaro, and Scott Redding were the first dudes in the pits. Paul crashes two corners out of, of the restarting. Scott Redding, well, Pramac done goofed and put the intermediates on his bike, which was never to go there. It cost him a podium, the poor dude. But. But Marquez was able to handle the conditions, and then he won by about 12 seconds. Um, and yeah, as you say, like he is the king of being able to handle these changeable conditions. Very like Jensen Button in that sense, where he was the undisputed king of being able to know when to change tires or when to change bikes. And Marquez has been ridiculous at that since we've had the flag to flag rules in place which again officially was 2014 um since then he's won all but one of them and all all of them that have been 
dry to wet, he has won. Um, and he makes it look so easy half the time as well, where the other guys still don't quite get how this works. Um, where like you know if if you, if you don't stick it out if you can't stick it out if you like the earlier you come you come in the better it is and you know no one else has really copied Marquez on that one but hey he doesn't even let him copying because hey we saw it at Bruno this season where he deliberately sunk to the back of the field so none of his main rivals could see that he had pit and changed bikes comes in first comes like Repsol Honda are ready to go because they know how this works comes out in front wins race by 20 seconds no big deal um so yeah it's it is incredible yeah, it is absolutely freakish um what he what he's able to do mm. um yeah just a level of a level of confidence in those conditions and no other rider can match but just a level of, of talent and riding ability in those conditions that no one can match as you mentioned polis in that same race just simply he, he made the same decision as marquez or might well have seen Mark marquez come in and thought you know what marquez is in so it's clearly time to go to slicks um yeah. and he tried to do what mark marquez did and promptly fell off um and yeah and yeah that that he's you can yeah, do this yeah it's <laughs> like yeah that's the thing I, like I, I remember uh, earlier this year when they were asked about it after the bruno race um where they were asked about it um you know the riders like paul was one of the riders asked where he was asked why don't you come in when mark marquez comes in why does he seem to always be a lap or two ahead of you you know why can't you all make that same decision at the same time and they say well we could, but if we do what he did, we'd fall off. We can't. We can't yeah. stay on the bike in those conditions, whereas he can, um, and that's worth giving Dre that. And that's part of what Mark Marquez makes Mark Marquez so hard to beat, is because you're pretty much just by the law of averages guaranteed two or three wet races yeah. a season, um, which yeah, essentially much. that is such a, an ace to have in your hold, such a, a jo- such a joker card to have that in those conditions you know that you are nigh on unbeatable. Uh, in those conditions and mm-hmm. that's a difficult t- that's a difficult talent to teach someone um to be able to ride on slick tires on a damp to wet track um you can't exactly teach and, it. And, and, and to that end that as long as we have flag to flag races it's difficult to look beyond mark marquez winning them exactly it's 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 how he does this now it's he's just that good at it um and you know moving on from flag to flags a little bit here but in, in tactical fights, a lot of the time now, he he has a, a seventh gear in him that I don't think any other rider in the field often has. We saw it at Phillip Island this season where he somehow broke the Phillip Island toe. Do you know how difficult mm. that is? Um, like, like he broke the Phillip Island toe in Misano this, in the season. That last lap, he, he beats Petrucci on the final lap by one and a half seconds because he always had it yeah, in his locker. He started locker. that last lap in second, by the way. <laughs> Exactly. And again, how about that 2015 lap of the gods at Philip Island where he started the final lap in third, a second off the win. And Marquez turned on the button on his dashboard that goes, I'm going to win this race or crash trying, basically, where he makes up half a second in the first sector going up the hill, passes Lorenzo down the the hill and wins the race out of nowhere. A performance so freakish, Valentino Rossi accused him of cheating. Um, it was that good, basically. And he, he has uh, he has an untapped level of speed, I think, which is greater than any rider we have ever seen in MotoGP, period. He just has that seventh gear that I think nobody else in bike racing has. He, he has a level that is just basically untouchable sometimes and he'll break it out four or five times a season and it's it's unbelievable to watch and in real time i still remember watching that philip island 2015 race 
on a cold winter's morning outside Greenford Tube yeah. Station, knowing I was about to go to Brands Hatch today for the BSB title showdown, and I was watching it on BT Sport, and my jaw hit the ground when I saw that final lap. I was fist pumping at the train mm. station, in awe of what I'd just seen. Um, it was, it, it was. I've never seen someone come back from a second round to win a Grand Prix on the final lap, and I probably never will again. Um, that's that's ninety three for you, and he does it so often now. It's no longer a surprise, and, and that must <laughs> nag away at you if you're a rider. I mean, I'd be fascinated to know. I mean, they would never admit it. The likes of Lorenzo, Rossi, Vinales, the, the guy, Davizioso, the guys that, that Marquez competes against. And in many ways, it makes what Davizioso did this year so impressive. Um, but when you're mm-hmm. up against Marc Marquez, if you're leading a Grand Prix towards the end of a Grand Prix these days, and Marc Marquez is in second place right behind you, that must nag away at you as a rider. That must put so much added pressure on the guy leading the race because he must be sat there thinking, is Marquez just toying with me here? Yeah, is, is he playing possum? Because that's what he's capable of. Um, yeah, that can do. And yeah, absolutely right. I think only Dovi was able to really handle that this year. Um, where, again, where Marquez, again, like, it's like if he's in second place, you just know that, hey, maybe there's a chance he's playing possum. It's very Valentino-esque, where we saw it a lot with Valentino when, when he was dealing with mere mortals in, in, in the mid-2000s, where... He would, and I know Julian Ryder's talked about this a lot in the past, where he would often play possum, um, like he would ride behind another guy, let the other guy dictate the pace, and with two laps to go, overtake him, set a lap record, and win the race. That's what Valentino Rossi was so good at in the early to mid-2000s, when in the peak of his powers. Um, and Marquez, again, has got a little bit of that in his game as well. And we, when, when you're showing similar traits to the greatest rider that's ever walked this earth, um, it's a sign that you are truly special. Yeah, it is. He is a special, special rider. Just the tactical brain on him uh, is incredible. Um, one last thing, and it's, it's a much more light-hearted one, this one, but we have to talk about this because we're talking about a rider who may well become the face of this sport um, in the future. It certainly should, in my opinion. Mark Marquez is the great entertainer um, in, in MotoGP <laughs> these days. If anything, before we even come on to some of the individual cases that have, have entertained us so greatly from Mark Marquez, but just the personality on the guy, the smile on him. I mean, I, mean, I understand, even if I don't agree, why so many Valentino Rossi fans despise him um, based on what's happened in the past. A lot of water has gone under the bridge between those two, understandably. Um, but mm-hmm. as a neutral... Um, and there are less and less of them these days in MotoGP. You can't, how can you look at Marc Marquez and just the personality and the, the joy and the enthusiasm he has for his sport and not like him? I don't, I don't get it. Like, like, what could you possibly use as a weapon here? Like, the fact he smiles yeah. too much? Like, I, 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 don't, I don't get it. It's like, the guy is a perfect ambassador for MotoGP. He's got a smile on his face. He always smiles despite all the PR shit he has to do um, for MotoGP in general. You know, that same stuff that basically handed Casey Stone a, re- a retirement and probably an aneurysm. But, you know, like he, he always smiles through every media event. He never puts a foot wrong with said press. He's always himself. He's always got a smile on his face. Again, he works so hard for Repsol Honda as a brand, as a face of, of them, the face of Pull and Bear as a brand. He's had two clothing ranges out, out in his name already. Um, and I don't think he's ever really put a foot wrong or said anything even slightly controversial that would make you go, oh, 
he's he's a bit dodgy. He, he's he's been flawless in that regard. He's an exemplary um, guy to, to 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 lead the image of the sport and what it's trying to 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 accomplish. He's fantastic at that. Um, I don't see how anyone can have a bad word to say about him as a human being. I don't think there's any evidence of that at all. I think he's been tremendous in that in that regard and. If you're a neutral, I don't see how you can't be at least respectful to what he does for the sport on and off the track and just what an entertainer he is on it as well. Yeah, you, you know how entertaining a rider is uh, in their sport by how many times they go viral um, on social media after, after certain instances that they, they're involved in. Um, one of them that I think many of us think of first, um, the Circuit of the Americas um, and 20. 14, I believe it was, 2014 slash 2015, I think it was 15, um, in qualifying. Q2, uh, his bike packs up going down the home straight um, whilst he's trying to defend pole position. Um, and still beggars belief, doesn't it, Dre, given how uh, it's a very uphill pitch straight that he was effectively running down. Um, but with two and a half minutes yeah. to go, Mark Marquez essentially goes on a 100-meter sprint down the pitch straight, jumps straight on his second bike and goes and sets pole position. Yeah, it's a sort of thing you played the Benny Hill yeah. theme music over um, as, as, as a clip, but it's still unbelievable seeing that in real time, him literally running down the pit lane with three minutes to go in the session, running into the spare bike, hops on it, off he goes, and you can see him on that outlap, on, on, on the qualifying lap itself. He is at about 115% of say, his limit. I'd love to see what the uh, monitor said that day. <laughs> about 300, <laughs> I'd say. Um yeah, it was it was utterly ridiculous. Again, you could see he he is wringing the neck of that bike, knowing that this is it. Dovi had just you know put a lap to put him on provisional pole position, and then Marquez finds three and a half temps to beat it on a second bike on hard tires that they had no time to set up properly, and he still puts him on pole position. And you you, 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 you could only laugh how ridiculous this man is sometimes and that was i've always said that is the example if you ever want to see mark marquez in three minutes you probably dig out that clip and show it to him because there's never i've never seen anything like it and again probably won't ever see anything like it again no it's incredible it like as i say just once you've had that moment where your bike is broken down and many many riders would instantly think well that's my session over um, you know, just hop over the gar- up over the pit lane, walk into your garage, and just see where you end up in qualifying. But not Mark Marquez. He's he's instantly his brain is so switched on that he's instantly thinking, right, I've got to get back here. I've got to jump straight on my bike, um, and just to have the mental again the mental strength and just the calmness of putting that out of your mind um, in the space of two minutes, uh, just completely wiping that from the memory and just going out going about your next qualifying lap and pretending that never happened. Um, is extraordinary and as you mentioned to just um, take pole position by three tenths of a second straight afterwards um, it was incredible um, we also had a great sense of fun from him in uh, in Assen last year uh, in qualifying when he once again crashed in Q2 um, wasn't quite within running distance of the pit lane on this occasion um, he was halfway around the lap so he decided he was just going to probably steal the photographer's scooter um, and ride away with it although what was again just to show what a nice man he is Dre and uh, the manners of this man he did give the uh, the photographer a little wave on the way past just to say, is this okay, mate? <laughs> sort of taking it anyway. 
Yeah, exactly. Just uh, he's, he's he's got manners. He's he's been he's been raised right, Mark. Yes, he, he, he he thought he asked before he stealed the bike back to the paddock. But of course, um, like the quick thinking on this man is like, oh great, I see a scooter. I can get back to the paddock on this. Um, yoink, um, basically, and it, it, it's unbelievable. Um, again, you just you just don't think of these sorts of things. But again, just so utterly captivating. I still remember that that same. That same weekend, a couple of years ago, where he wins his eighth race in a row and he swims over the line yeah. like a fish and he basically steals one of the track cameras and just shouts, it was like, ah! <laughs> um, it's, 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 it's crazy. The guy's, the guy's, the guy's too captivated. I don't see anybody can't be like that. He's, he's insane. And, and <laughs> perhaps what's made him so entertaining more recently, um, and in many ways, it's also what's made him so good, is there are very few riders well in fact there are no other riders who can save the kind of uh, crashes near crashes um, that mark marquez can i mean i was watching the motor gp season review dvd the other day which um i was lucky enough to receive as a present for christmas um and, it, and it's actually it, 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 it's brilliant by the way just on a, on a segue it's brilliant um i mean it's it's better than previous season reviews i, I bought the 2015 season review um for obvious reasons given what had happened that season mm. and was very disappointed with it um, in the the sort of post production sort of um, soulless voiceover that they that Harry Lloyd, who's a brilliant commentator for the World Feed on World Superbikes, um, was obviously scripted to do on that day uh, for that DVD, and it just didn't work. Um, play it down, play it yeah, down. Whereas this year, um, they've essentially just kept the Matt Burt Nicarys World Feed commentary from it um, from this season and used that. Yeah. Um, so you essentially get the live commentary, the live reaction. And their reaction, which I hadn't heard before, because obviously we watch it with BT Sport over here, uh, unless you have the video pass. Right. Uh, their reaction to the Mark Marquez save in Valencia um, is just, again, he pretty much says the same thing we're all thinking. He's like, oh my God. It's <laughs> like, there's no way he saves this. Um, and the fact that Mark Marquez <laughs> is taking just unbelievable risks, um, I think was the word, that, uh, the phrase that, that Matt Burt used. Um, but, it's entertaining to see Mark Marquez save these near crashes, but let's not forget, Jay, that it also serves a purpose. And it also, again, makes him the rider that he is because many other riders, in fact, any other rider, that's a crash. And again, it makes him so formidable and it, it enables him to win races and score points that other people just simply won't score because if that happens to them, they're down the road. Exactly. It it it's it will probably save him forty or fifty points a season because every rider is going to have those near misses. And like, I'll give you an example. Maverick Vinales had a couple of near ones like that. He crashed, and that probably cost him a shot at the title this year. Marquez has a couple of those. He saves them. Um, and again, that Valencia save will live long in the memory. It's one of the great MotoGP moments. It'll be the decade. abiding image of that championship finale. <laughs> yeah, the front wheel being yeah. bent on the ground, uh, as as you do. Um, it, it brings a whole new meaning to the phrase. Haters will think it's photoshopped, um, but it's it is one of those incredible, incredible moments. And yeah, it is again a legitimate feather in the Marquez cap. He he can do it, and and nobody else can do it. He could, he could save double accidents time and time again. That one ultimately sealed the title. Um, so yeah, like it, it's it's captivating, but it also again serves a very important purpose, and it's it's a, another asset in the Marquez game that is just so strong at the moment. It's 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 practically unbeatable, and that is another reason as to why mm, that is. is. And uh, we don't know at this stage how he's going to be 
perceived at the end of his career. We already know now how he's going to be perceived. If he retired now, he'd still be viewed as one of the all-time greats of his sport. Who knows how many more titles, how many more race wins and podiums and pole positions and fastest laps he's going to achieve before he finally retires, which we hope won't be another decade or so away yet, um, which is frightening for his rivals. Um, but in terms of how he's perceived by outsiders, if you like, by people from outside of the Marc Marquez um, fan group and fan base, for Marc Marquez to be considered the greatest of all time, first of all, he would probably have to surpass, at the very least, Valentino Rossi's nine at the moment titles. Um, to be considered the best. But does he have to win the MotoGP title on another make of motorcycle to be considered the greatest? For me, no. And it's the one thing that I think people don't talk about with Valley quite as much is the simple fact, that at least that in the that you know, in in my opinion at least, like Valentino Rossi didn't have the greatest level during his most dominant run. There was still a fragmented split between MotoGP and World Superbikes, and some of their talent was still over there. Colin Edwards you know, was was Rossi's teammate, and he never really got the rub of the green when in in his time there. See Assen for more details, but it's it's one of those things where I don't think the quality of opposition was the greatest. And you know, if you've ever played like the MotoGP video games, the great career mode intro you get, which is the same one they use on the website, where they're just talking about the quality of the field and all the titles that they had won, and just soaking in like just how great those fields were that Marquez was able to dominate: you know, Rossi, Lorenzo, Pedrosa, Crutchlow, Dovi, Iannone, you know, Hayden, and it goes on and on with those those quality fields and. And as much as you got to say, well, you got to win it on a second bike. Yeah, sure, you can do that. But you got to remember that Honda has not been great for a couple of years going into this season where maybe only now they look back to something near their best again. But beforehand, I don't think that that Honda was the number one bike in the field. And Marquez still found a way to be competitive with it and still found a way to win on multiple occasions. So I think in the eyes of the casual fan, I think he's, he will probably have to jump on a second bike and win before he start having these conversations. I think he's already having those conversations, or at least he's on that level where I think we've got to give it some serious thought now because, yeah, he's only won six titles compared to Rossi's nine, but Marquez has done so many incredible feats in his age, and he's already got his legacy so well cemented, in my opinion, that like he's the best of this current era by a considerable margin. And... Like, I think he will get to Rossi's count someday. Whether he leaves Honda or not, I don't think is relevant here because he's done so much already that, like, I, I don't know what you've got to do in order in order to beat him. It's it's, it's incredible. Hmm. Do you think Marquez will ever reach that point where he feels he needs that jammy? I don't, I've never thought about Marquez at any stage of thinking, well, I, I think that guy wants a new challenge because I think he's, he, he enjoys his sport so much that... He enjoys whatever challenge is posted to him, and he still is challenged enough by the strength of the field to continue doing what he does. But do you think Mark Marquez would ever arrive at that point where... Because I think that was really the reason Valentino Rossi switched from Honda to Yamaha in the first place, wasn't it? Because he wanted he wanted that challenge. He wanted to win the championship on a new bike. And it's the reason, really, that... Um, certainly the, the only reason he admits to that Jorge Lorenzo departed Yamaha for Ducati um, because he wanted that new challenge. He wanted to win the championship elsewhere. Do you think Mark Marquez will ever arrive at that point where he will he will actually want to win the championship on another bike? And I dare say if he did, there'd be a queue as long as the, the entire paddock to try and sign him. 
I don't know. That's that's the interesting thing. I don't know. Um, do you think he, uh, Jossa, do you think he cares think any... how he's perceived? Do you think he cares how people view him in terms of the pantheon of greats? I don't think so. I really don't. I think he. I think he's oblivious to that. I don't think he's ever let that bother him, or at least he's so good. He's, he has such a good poker face, he would never guess. Um, I don't think anyone knows but Marquez himself. He's still so young. He still easily has a dozen more years in the game if he wants it. Um, easy to forget. He, he's only twenty five next month. Um, and it's arguably the most terrifying part of Marquez's game so far, but. I don't know is the, is, the, is the honest answer to that question. Like, I don't know if he ever wins like maybe f- two or three more, gets to eight or nine titles, and then he'll say, okay, maybe now's the time for a change. Maybe now I can take the big bucks, go to KTM, and see if I can turn them into a championship winner. Um, may- maybe he's keeping half an eye on that because, hey, Red Bull will pay whatever it takes you know, to get Marquez, but maybe the front front and center guy to have as their motorsport brand because we all know red bull sponsor everything <laughs> these days um but i i don't know i is the short answer to that the long answer is well i'm not sure he even cares <laughs> to, to be honest with you but i guess we've got to wait and see how this plays out. again it, it, we are still talking about a guy that's only had what five top flight seasons in bike racing um he's still like He's, he's still got another two or three chapters to write if he wants it. So I guess the fun part is just sitting back and seeing what he decides to do more than yeah, anything we're else. We're going to certainly enjoy watching uh, the next chapters of the Mark Market story, which will unfold starting this year in 2018 with the MotoGP season, which begins in March. Of course, we will cover it right throughout the year um, here on Motorsport 101 and Bike Live. Um, testing gets underway in around a month's time, and we'll uh, in our fortnightly shows around that point, we will, uh, of course, be covering uh, what goes on through that period um it's a huge thank you uh to andrew harrison uh for joining me uh this week he's off to thank the gods for the existence of jesse lingard um I- i'm about- again Build that I'm, about- I'm gonna go and try to shake <laughs> off this sore throat and this cough um between now and then though places you can find us at facebook.com forward slash motorsport 101 on twitter we are at motorsport underscore 101 our youtube channel.com forward slash motorsport 101 our website is motorsport101.net and if you want to back us financially and earn yourself early access um to bike live and motorsport 101 and as Dre mentioned that early access might even include listening in on the live recordings of these shows um head to patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101 episode 118 of motorsport 101 follows next week uh, episode 44 of bike live the week after that but from uh, myself and andre harrison it's thank you for listening to this special edition of bike live looking at the making of 93 the great mark marquez we will see you in a fortnight bye for now